Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. And also, if you're looking for a great place to help your salespeople manage their, their clients as well as their, their sales progress, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com and see other great products there. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and I am... Gracious enough to have Sean here two times a week to talk about what's going on, and this is the Tuesday report. So, Sean, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I'm really, really super happy to be back in South Florida after a long trip and uh, fired up again. I'm fired up. Yep, so. okay. fired up, ready to go, and talk about all the great things that are happening out here. So, one thing that I've been looking at, and and you know, you've talked about it on here quite a bit. You know, we've talked about current range of corn where it's at you know it's going to struggle to to make things work just because of the input costs that we see coming down the pike here for next year we're looking at um you know some possible weather delays and those kind of things we got supply chain issues that are coming up and then you know inflation um is still still a deal out there now so i guess as you take a look at corn uh you know i think right now we're at 572 i think is what it closed at yesterday i don't I haven't seen what the overnights have done but um, when you take a look at corn, I mean, when when do you think inflation is going to start playing a, a big role in what we see? Obviously, supplies are are high right now because it's you know we're in the middle of harvest and those kind of things. But when do you really feel like that inflationary tick that we've seen kind of get peanut buttered across the entire economy is going to hit hit the commodity markets here? Well, we had the first phase, um, and we've been consolidating. Right. I mean, if really just, I think the corn chart is a perfect chart because we made the high in May and we basically have been going sideways in this volatile trade ever since consolidating that first initial inflationary move. And our view is that we're going to start a secondary inflationary move. Wheat sort of maybe already starting that early because of the high quality wheat shortage that we clearly have and it's trying to ration demand. So wheat's probably the first market that's beginning to break out of that consolidation. Um, and I, and you could, you could, you can, parlay this into a lot of other markets, but you know, every market's going to develop um, this next wave of inflation based upon its own cycle, its own supply demand fundamentals. You know, cotton is already breaking out of its consolidation because of uh, China's demand for cotton and that sort of thing. So for corn specifically, uh, you know, corn's being dragged up by its feet by the wheat market, which is 
typical. I mean, that's, you know, we market takes off, corn goes along with it, but it's really not, a, a, I don't see the fundamentals allowing the corn market to go much above, you know, this $580, $6 area for right now. I think there's plenty of corn from harvest, um, crop conditions so far, especially in Brazil, uh, look okay. Um, and I do think that the wheat market is nearing a, a crescendo of, of price rationing high quality wheat, meaning it's going to it's going to front load it, get it high, make sure that it can get to the next harvest. Um, and I believe we're pretty close to doing that. Now they're assuming we're going to have a good crop right. for the you know winter wheat crop. I don't believe that's going to be the case. But for now, they're going to assume big crop. We've done enough. We can get through. We've told the marginal buyer. Don't buy high quality wheat. It's not for you. Um, so I believe that what's going to start to happen is we're going to get into like January and February, especially February. That's when we price the insurance for the following season, right? We, we, we you know, the, the February price is how all your insurance products get priced of what your protective price is on your crop insurance in the United States. And so everyone's going to start looking at that price, um, assuming it's, December 22 corn is about 550, something like that. Assuming we're in this mid low fives and we're going to start looking at what does that mean for acreage in the US? What does that mean for yield? How much fertilizer will the farmer put down? Um, and I believe that the balance sheets are going to start to look, they're not, the, the math isn't going to work. I Meaning we're going to, we're going to put 88 million acres instead of 94. We're going to start putting, you know, trend line yields, and that's not going to work. And then we're going to realize that we're hearing going to hear all kinds of talk that the fertilizer is going to be cut back. And oh, by the way, we're going to have some weather problems, delayed planting, even less. I just think the market's going to look at the balance and say, "Wait a minute, this we got to get this corn price higher and change the farmer's mind before it's too late." And so I really think February and March begins that process. I don't believe the corn market's going to wait for the crop not to get planned. They're going to say, wait a minute, we need to get prices up and get that guy to go out there. I still don't think they're going to get planned because of the, the planting season is going to be very, very poor for getting the crop on the ground. But I think February, March is when I would anticipate, Casey, the corn market really having to do something more dynamic to the upside to get acres sufficient yeah. that it can work if the crop's good, if the crop is good. In the meantime, I still think, once wheat tops out here, it's, it's still going to be kind of a consolidation back and forth, back and forth. Um, uh, you know, in, unless Argentina really, really gets into a weather problem uh, late in, in, later in December into, into January. So I think there's a potential that could happen. But for now, you know, corn is strictly going up because wheat's going up. So Gotcha. Okay. How, how much... I don't know, ask this question. How, how much do you think the, uh, the March... Uh, Prospected acreage report is going to, or prospected planted acreage report is going to, I mean, affect. I mean, I think if, if fertilizer is going to be an issue, nitrogen is going to be an issue, and those kind of things, there and there's, you know, more soybean acres are possibly going to get planted than, than corn, so on and so forth. There could be this big reversal here where, you know, the number of corn acres drop significantly. I guess. How much of a of an effect do you think that'll play, and then how much do you think you know? Because that that's always kind of been like a you know little boy that cried wolf type of type of report, I guess a little bit to some extent. I mean, do you really think that's going to make that much of a difference if it's dramatically off? You know, if it's corn's off, you know, whatever five million acres from what it was this year. 
I have to believe the market's going to anticipate that report, Casey. I mean, I yeah. don't think the market's going to wait for the USD. I think the market's going to start to figure out those acres are going to be down um, and they're going to try to do something to, to, to over, override that. Remember, we get the, um, the Ag Outlook comes out. I'm trying to remember when that comes out. I think it comes out in uh, February. And that's the USDA's trial balloon. They throw out some numbers. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a secret. I mean, it's not like, you know, we, 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 you know I mean, I think the market is it will it's going to front run that and it's going to try to get the farmer to make a different decision so that that number in March that they come out with doesn't look so bad. Um, that's why I'm saying I think February into March, the market has to rally so that we, you know, so that we plant sufficient number of acres. And then of course, if the, if we have delayed planting, if we have late ending winter, if we have flooding, well then, then, then of course, then we have, we have a whole nother problem that even if they say we're going to plant so many acres in March, we're really not going to be able to get those acres planted. And then the market has to recalibrate again of what does the corn price have to do to reflect the idea that we're not going to actually get those acres planted. And oh, by the way, because of the problem with the planting season. Oh, by the way, those trend line yields that we dialed in are probably not going to be the right number. We need to go. And then you have, you have a big problem in your hands and you got a really big problem in your hands. I mean, we have no buffer stocks so just a little of adjustment, Casey, and we're out yeah. and we're right. out. We're doing what we're doing now. We're, you know, we're price ration. We haven't priced, you know, I think we're going to have to price ration corn as you go into spring, early summer, if I'm correct about what's to take place here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So you've got, um, Get some reports out of China about some, you know, f- uh, food shortage concerns that are popping up. They, what, they're telling their, you know, they're basically telling their people, hey, you know, I need to keep some basic fundamentals on on hand because, you know, we got a we got a winter coming up that could be could be pretty rough. I to me, that's that's one more of those uh, telltale signs of of what's coming down the pike. You know, especially with China and they're having their brownouts the way they've had them and and, and the spike in in heating heating costs and those kind of things with natural gas the way it are. I mean, so I guess talk about that impact, I guess, is that moves, I guess, from from the east to the west. It's the concept. We've talked about this before. Security of supply is taking precedent over the price that you pay. Mm-hmm. Um, for 20 years, it was just in time, just in time. You know, whatever we need, we can buy it. We can get shipped quickly, just in time. It's sufficient use of capital, but just in time. Right. Um, weather's good. We're producing technologies is helping us. And then, and then, and then the pandemic hit, and we got into these shortages due to logistics, worker problems, uh, of course, you know the uh, the shipping issues, um, and now we actually can't get what we want right away. You get, you say, all right, I want some corn from the U.S. You're not getting it right away. You don't, in fact, you don't know when you're getting it. it. You just don't know. And that's not comforting. You know, when you say, I need it now, and you're not getting it now. So everyone, including consumers, is starting to figure out, you know, I had just enough in the house for three or four days. Now, maybe I need just enough in the house for three or four months. Mm-hmm. And maybe as a government, I need rice and weed and, you know, for a year's worth instead of three months worth. Everyone is rethinking what they need now because this has been a shock to the system. And if we do have this very, very long destabilizing winter, it's gonna even bring that that concept further home uh, to roost. So I really feel that that 
there's, there's three things going on here. Dramatic increase in weather volatility. We've talked about this, and that's, that's creating yep. shortages. The second thing is, um, is the, the, the idea of, of the global logistic system out of whack. And thirdly, the idea of restocking the world. Well, you're not going to restock the world in one month, Casey. You're going to restock the world over the course of two to three years. Right. Um, assuming. Assuming everything goes assuming, right. Yeah. Assuming you have good crops and big crops and surpluses and you can do it. Yep. If you don't have good crops, it takes even longer. So not only do we have to satisfy the actual demand for corn, for example, but we have to satisfy the demand for corn that is, is being asked to stockpile. So that's a huge increased demand base, Casey. We have not seen in a very, very long time. We saw a little bit of this in 07, 08. We saw some restocking uh, demand when we had that um, food shortage or that, the, the, the food crisis we had for a little while, mm -hmm. but didn't last very long. So, so that's what's really powerful about this cycle. It's, it's a combination of a lot of things, but there's no way that we're going back to just-in-time ag inventory. We are going to stock up, rebuild, and have that buffer stock and until that's satisfied, you know, we're, we're, the demand for food is going to be much higher than everyone is anticipating. I'll, I'll, I'll just look at the cotton market. Something, by the way, that's not actually necessary, right? We don't eat cotton. You right. know, I mean, yep. you know, I mean, we've got to have to get close to wear, but I mean, for the most part, it's not like it's a crisis issue. But even there, there's a shortage of high quality cotton. And so China is buying all our cotton like we've never seen before because they don't have any high-quality cotton, and neither does anybody else. And so they're coming for the high-quality cotton. They're stockpiling the high-quality cotton because they're afraid of running out of it because they need that high-quality cotton to mix in with their crap that they produce so they can produce the products that everybody wants. Yeah. And this <clears> is a market that's not necessary. So, so it's a classic example of stockpiling even something that you don't absolutely positively need as a human being, but they need it because their industry, their textile industry is dependent upon it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, you're seeing that that happens. So I guess let's jump over and talk a little bit about what's going on in the livestock uh, markets here a little bit. If you take a look at uh, what's going on, you have box beef prices are, are starting to kind of rate firm up a little bit from what they've been. They've been bouncing around all over the place. Um, and, and you're starting to see um, some firming up of, of live cattle as well. So I guess when you look at that, that cattle complex right now, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, we had, we had a rally. Um, we had the first break in the fall here. We had kind of a bounce off that break. But I still feel, you know, we have too many animals um, for the throughput capability of U.S. packers. It continues to be a problem. We continue to hear about workers not showing up. Um, and just and just just too many animals for the capacity of the industry, um, and 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 so that's continuing to prevent the the cattle price from really delivering on where the beef price has been for a long time, which is you know through the roof. Um, the cattle and feed numbers continue to show um, smaller numbers coming, um, and so when we look at how much the herd has thinned out over the summer into the fall because of the drought, because of high feed prices. With the winter we expect to see, the more thinning out, the reproductive cycle being uh, disrupted. 
we think that the supply of animals for cattle are going to be insufficient from the spring onward, where we take the packer problem off the table, meaning we, 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 the animals will be sufficiently low by then, Casey. Demand is going to be there. It, I'm not worried about the demand for, for beef. It's going to be there. Um, we just got to get the animals down to where there's not a throughput issue where the packers have to bid up these animals because they can bring them through as fast. They can't bring them through fast enough. We haven't been able to do that. And I think we need a little bit longer before we get those animals in the right place. But once we do, it's going to be a really, really dynamic move to the upside. And that's why we've continued to focus on your show. um, And in our recommendations is to be looking at spring, summer, and fall Feeder cattle and live cattle. The feeder cattle market tends to go up first, and then it leads the live cattle market thereafter. So if I was really looking at where I think things could go pretty interesting, you know, we talk about the inflation. When inflation could really kick into the cattle market, it's the spring, summer, and fall of 22. I think we're going to chop around a lot here between now and then, unfortunately, because I just think we still have too many animals to get through this unfortunate limited capacity of a concentrated industry that – uh, probably not to have gotten that concentrated, but there we, we had no, whether we like it or not, that's the situation we have in the cattle business right now. Yep. So, okay. Uh, hog market is, uh, still, it's just been struggling here. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it continues to just have those, those weak moments, takes a step forward and takes two steps back type of thing. When you look at what's going on in the hog market, like you've talked about here, you know, we, we've, we've hit that that seasonal high kind of back in the summertime and now we're kind of going through that seasonal low period that we see now but it seems like it's it's compounding to to some extent um, when you look at the hog market what are your thoughts there until china comes back remember right we geared up our production to sell all this supply to china because of the african swine fever and that was working well they were buying like we've never seen before and it drove this market up well over a dollar a pound and then all of a sudden African swine fever act two occurred in China and they liquidated everything and they crushed the, the, the hog price. The pork prices just got crushed massive oversupply. They don't need a thing right now. They won't need a thing into the first quarter and they're not buying anything from us. Well, we geared up for it. You just, there's no way to replace that demand through other sources. You can, you can, you can offset some of it, but not all of it. And so we're suffering from that. Prices are still attractive. And um, even though the, uh, the hog and pigs report that we saw in the last uh, USDA report that came out showed uh, kind of surprisingly smaller number of animals than was anticipated, we think that's, we, we think that's just a, a transient thing. We think we're going to start building the supply, building these animals, building this herd as we move into the, um, as we move into the first quarter. And, and we think that supply is going to just be overwhelming. Um, that's the that's our view between now and now. I, I think we're going to make new lows in hogs. I just think we're not done yet. Now, that supply that they've unleashed into the Chinese market isn't going to last forever. They got their holidays. They eat, they consume tons right. of pork, and they're going to have to rebuild again. Rebuilding Act Two, and as they rebuild, all of a sudden the hog price is going to take off. Pork supplies are going to are going to completely contract. They're going to have a shortage again, and things are going to go through the roof again. And they're going to want they're going to come back for the U.S. saying we're back. Sorry, we went on vacation for a little while, but we're back. What do you got for us? And that's a second quarter issue forward. So we're pretty optimistic 
that from second quarter, the Chinese demand comes back and can levitate prices again. So I really feel the hog producer needs to protect prices into the first quarter. I think after that, he's going to be fine. Yep, I, I would agree with your synopsis there. There, there's uh, they're talking in this article I'm looking at right now. They're talking about um, they're dealing with uh, excess pork. This now this is from the Chinese now. So the Chinese massive uh, hog sector is dealing with excess pork production after millions of small farmers started raising hogs as China's leaders called for an urgent recovery following. The African swine fever outbreak. So now they're back to doing what caused the African swine fever to start in the first place. And they were just trying to, now they're saying they've got an oversupply, yet they're begging for, you know, they're, they're looking at all these different things from happening. So it's kind of like you say, you know, it's just part two is coming again. And you know, they might, this might cause part three to happen. <laughs> they're not well, careful. It, 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 we're, <clears throat> we're, gonna, we're, we're literally going to play the record again. Yeah. We're going to play the record again. We're going to go through the whole record again yeah. a second time it's amazing but we are going to do it so there's going to be tremendous volatility in u.s hog prices now down and then up big again so um just make sure as a hog producer just, just make sure you protect hogs are notorious for overshooting up and down yep. they overshoot so whatever i think it should go it's going to go a whole lot lower than we think just because that's how livestock trade um, just protect yourself in the first quarter. I just, I just think there could be kind of an ugly liquidation there before you know we we get that demand back and see see better times ahead. So, yep. uh, you know, if, if there's anything I could really stress, you know, even though prices are down a lot uh, from where they were, they're still not bad compared to where they have been or could be, and probably yeah. will go. So, still, still remind yourself you're still surviving as a hog farmer at these prices. Yeah. So, yeah, they're actually in the same article. They're actually predicting. Well, tongue in cheek, they're predicting this. They're they're saying like more than likely it'll take another large disease outbreak in the country this winter to eliminate some of the excess supplies. So they're already, they're anticipating <laughs> they're anticipating another round of African swine fever to go through. It's crazy, absolutely nuts. All right, man. Well, Shawnee, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T advisors.com all kinds of information on there with videos and interviews and sample reports in fact we just did a market to market show on friday that i think we'll be posting fresh on the on the home page that's kind of a you know we it'll be a, a fresh interview and 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 you know those who um you know want kind of a a more right on well john thanks for being on the podcast i always enjoy it Sounds great, Casey. I always love being on your show and talking agriculture. It's always a, it's a passion of mine, as you know. Yes, it so. is. Yes, it is. Well, I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also go to the fellows over at Farm for Profit uh, Podcast. They had me on as a guest talking about what's going on in the equipment industry um, from my uh, my perspective. And uh, so check that out. Go over there and give those guys a listen. It's a good podcast, chock full of great information, and they're uh, they're great guys as well. So. You want to check that out? Go to Farm for Profit. You can find it anywhere that podcasts are are uh, are played there. So check that out. Also, go to MovingIronLLC.com for all the latest information about Moving Iron uh, podcast, as well as Moving Iron Summit coming up. I uh, should have information on that pretty soon. Also, go to uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll see all the latest posts there as well. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go, Smart folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. 
Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher